I think you surround yourself with good people and you treat people right and you show that you care as much as you want them to care and you work as hard as you want them to work and you have enthusiasm and you got some positive vibe about you all the time, then I think you got a chance to have a really good program. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud, the official voice of data. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. The future of recruiting and player development is here. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. Now, on today's show, we have on Hall of Fame head coach Jack Leggett. Jack is currently the head coach of the Team USA 18U national team, and he also consults with and mentors many of the top baseball players, coaches, and programs around the country. He served as the head coach of the Clemson Tigers from 1994 to 2015, making 21 NCAA appearances, nine Super Regional appearances, and six trips to the College World Series. Jack coached over 140 professional baseball signees, nine first-rounders, and 25 players who made it to the major leagues. His career record as a head coach was 1,332 wins to 770 losses with 26 NCAA appearances. His 1,332 wins ranks ninth all-time for Division I. Jack also served as head coach for five years at the University of Vermont and nine years at Western Carolina before arriving at Clemson. And on the show today, we discuss Jack's unbelievable coaching tree who, to name a few, include Eric Bakich, Tim Corbin, and Kevin O'Sullivan. But we also get into what drives a winning culture and what advice he has learned along his journey that he would offer to coaches everywhere. Here is Jack Leggett. Coach Leggett, thank you so much for joining us on Ahead of the Curve today. My pleasure, Jonathan. Look forward to talking with you and talking about some baseball. Oh, definitely. And I, you know, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while now, but, you know, I want to start off with, you know, let's talk about your coaching tree a little bit. And, you know, myself being an assistant, I've always been curious for me as the hopes of being a head coach that I could prepare my assistants someday to be head coaches. And it seems like you've gone way above and beyond what most people are able to do that with just the people that you've, that have worked under you and worked with you. But talk to us about, you know, is that something that you've always been conscious of or is it just a byproduct of hiring the right people and how you are running things? Well, I think it's probably more of a byproduct. Uh, when I first started coaching, I was 23 years old at the University of Vermont. I was the youngest Division one baseball coach in the country. I had to be, I guess. Just had gotten out of college and mm-hmm. I didn't have any assistant coaches for the first two or three years. And so I was uh, getting the vans and raising money and teaching classes and recruiting and and running everything on the field myself uh you know every position and i would put kids on a you know i'd tell my catcher dan gasparino i said gaspo this is what i want you to do with the catchers and if i turn around somebody's screwing around you you're in trouble <laughs> and he would take the responsibility of being like an assistant coach so i would always put some responsibility on my players certainly early i think that made them better players and able to teach a little bit more and understand the fundamentals better and then I got an assistant coach, uh, Donnie Picard, who was my first pitching coach and assistant coach at the University of Vermont. We've been great friends since then. And 
And then I went down to Western Carolina University and had some graduate assistants and uh, didn't really have full-time assistant coach at the beginning. They were graduate assistants and, and guys had just finished up college and, and trying to get their master's and so forth. And some of them moved on and became really good coaches. Keith LeClaire was one of them that ended up taking four, uh, taking over for me at Western Carolina. Then he went to East Carolina and passed away with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, but he was a tremendous young coach. And Todd Raleigh, who coached there for a while too, and then went to Tennessee and and is now out of coaching, but uh, had a great coaching mind. And then Rodney Hennon was also one of my players who also took over uh, for Keith after uh, at Western Carolina. So he's now the head coach at Georgia Southern. And, you know, of course, Kevin O'Sullivan is uh, probably notable for everybody out there, won the ch- uh, national championship uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and at Florida. And Tim Corbin uh, has also won a national championship a few years back at Vanderbilt and John Pulowski over Western uh, Western Kentucky and a lot of assistant coaches out there and some other head coaches out there as well. So I think if you do things right and they pay attention and they have good aptitude and they're good workers and, and they have a good fundamental base. And I think uh, all the programs we ran, Jonathan, were were good in all those areas and they were able to learn and, and um, gather as much information they could and go off and do their own thing, which has been very satisfying to see. And, you know, I, I asked this question to, you know, a former assistant principal of mine because he was he was an aspiring head coach at one time, and, and we both worked under the same head football coach that, that I do currently. And I asked him, I said, you know, what did Coach Fred do to help prepare you to be a head coach? And he said he was always very conscious of, of asking really good questions to them or asking for input or just saying, hey, just be conscious of this someday right. that you may be a head coach. Now, is that pretty accurate on, on, you know, on the same level that what you're yeah. speaking about as well? Absolutely. You know, you, you have it in your mind that they're at some point, they're going to maybe go off and, and challenge their own jobs. You know, another guy is the head coach right now is Dan Papaselli up at Cornell. And, you know, he did a great thing when he came down and became assistant coach for me at, at the Clemson, he came down and shadowed us for a weekend. He bought you know, I wish he bought me, but he kept bugging me to come down and shadow us because he'd seen us in Omaha and seen me at clinics and so forth. And mm-hmm. so he finally, he came down and said, well, come on down sometime in January before we get ready to play in the season. And um, five minutes in my conversation and while he was watching practice and I'm talking to him, I'm, we went out to eat and I'm going, this guy is really sharp. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, I got him working my camps. And then the <laughs> next thing you know, he's, he ends up being, uh, being my assistant coach and now head coach at Cornell university. And, uh, so yes, you, you try to give them responsibility. You got to trust them. Um, you evaluate them all the time because somebody's always asking me about, or was always asking me about, how about this guy? Is he capable of becoming a head coach? Is What's his strengths and weaknesses? And so you watch your guys, you watch them interact with your team. You watch them interact uh, during the recruiting process uh, when kids are on campus and how hard they work at the recruiting. You always trying to help them with their knowledge base. Um, but I really think the best teaching environment, uh, like when I was an athlete at the University of Maine, played football and baseball, I was wanting to be a coach. So I was paying attention to everything the coach did. I paid attention to how he handled discipline, how he handled academics, how he talked to the team after winning, after talked talk to the team after losing, how he, uh, you know, talked to individuals, you know, on the team that were, you know, either not performing well or perform, performing very well or weren't playing as much as they wanted to. I was always taking that stuff in and, and uh, I think the assistant coaches that 
you know, have, have been around me have been very observant and they, they watch what's going on and they, they watch, you know, some of the experience, the things that we have to do as a head coach. And, and I think, uh, it bodes well for them when you, when you pay attention. So all those guys that are out there doing well is because they had good aptitude and they're very passionate about what they're doing and, and they picked up a good knowledge base along the way. Sure. Now, was there ever a time that, you know, you, you're a head coach and you had some assistants who needed some help or that you are like, man, they may be not doing it exactly the, the way that I want them to do that. And that's always a hard conversation to have because in the end of the day, you're colleagues, but you maybe want something different or want or expect something to be a little bit better. What would a conversation like that look like for you? Well, you know, there always a conversation here and there where you would, you know, observe something in practice. And, and uh, the great thing about being a head coach is you have the ability, you should have the ability to speak to anybody on your team, whether it's a pitcher, an infielder, outfield catcher, hitter, base runner, whatever, because you should be well-versed in everything, you know, but you don't want to overstep your bounds in the pitching department, say, and tell us, you know, go work with some kid in the bullpen without going over with your coach. Um, but I, you know, I used to see some things and I would say, Hey, what do you think about this? I think the kid's throwing across his body a little bit too much, or he's doing this or that. And it may not be something that they picked up on themselves. And so it was always, I think a helpful hint when, when I could see something with my eyes and tell them they're always receptive to it. Um, if you wanted something changed in practice, the, how they went about their business or something, you know, you just bring them in the office and you talk to them. But I was very fortunate to make a lot of good hires. And I did that based on the type of people, the type of personality they had, the type of communication skills that they had. And uh, I usually hit them right on the nose. I was very lucky to, to find the right guys and, and uh, give them a lot of responsibility. But there was always some conversations here and there about, and they would ask you if they were curious. they say, hey, what do you think we're doing? Can we do something different? Or what do you think about this drill? Or what do you think about that drill? And, and those are the guys that I knew were going to be really good coaches because they always wanted to learn and mm-hmm. didn't think they had everything figured out. I love that. I love that answer. And so, you know, talk to us about your Clemson years. And you were at Clemson for 22 years. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear about how you built the culture over time. Now, just talk to us about what steps that you took to build the culture up and then I also want to know how you maintained it the same way every single year because you guys were so consistent every single year. How you maintained it from year to year after you got it to a level that you thought that you were you know, proud of or that you guys should be at every year. Right. right. Well, when I first started coaching, I coached five years at the University of Vermont. And I was a young coach, but I was the son of a coach. And so I was around it all the time. And I was around good coaches. I had good coaches in high school, good coaches in college, football, basketball, baseball in high school football and baseball in college, you know, playing summer leagues, Cape Cod leagues and up in Maine. I was playing all the time and I was around coaches all the time and I observed and I watched the positives that I liked out of them. And sometimes there were some things that I would have done differently or thought should have been done differently. So I was learning all the time, went down to Western Carolina, you know, got involved there as a young coach down there. They had, had, I was a third coach in a year and a half. And so it was a little bit of an adjustment for them. I was a, a Yankee from up north. Uh, I was young. I was, uh, you know, to them, I had to prove myself, I guess, because, you know, they thought they had the answers because uh, they had a pretty decent season the year before, but there was a lot of culture changes that needed to be done. So I found that there had to be three, four C's that have to take place. 
the first one is conflict. When you go in a new program and have some kids buck the system, see if they really know what you're doing, kind of be a little skeptical. Sometimes they're very, very eager to learn because of the past environment, but sometimes if they feel, you know, have had some success in the past, they may not want to change as much as they need to, even though they they know they can get better, the team can get better. So you're going to have conflict. You're going to have change where they change over to your way of thinking and start to believe and and uh, say, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Oh, I like these drills. I like how practice is going. Mm-hmm. And then there's a commitment. The third C is a commitment where they're committed to you and committed to your program. They want to host the recruits on campus. They're extremely loyal. If somebody steps out of line in your program, they straighten it out for you. There's high expectations in practice about how you want to run practice. So the older guys are making sure nobody steps out of line. And uh, then the fourth C that comes along with it is you start winning championships. Mm-hmm. And so you have conflict, change, commitment, championships. And uh, it's a process. Now, I went down to, uh, to Clemson. I went down there as an assistant coach, which was the first two years of my coaching career. I was into it now for five at Vermont and nine at Western Carolina for so 14 years. And so I'd never been an assistant coach. So that was interesting for me. Got involved in recruiting and how to do the scholarships and recruit at that level and the travel and all those kind of things that you have to do to recruit at that level. And, mm-hmm. and so I was able to, and I went in there knowing that I was going to probably be the head coach in a couple of years when Coach Wilhelm retired. You know, I think the players got used to me. They, were, they had been kids I recruited, and I was kind of running the practice schedules at that time. And so the transition was very easy. And uh, I think at that time they were excited about a change. Maybe they were excited about, you know, some new enthusiasm in the program. And so I think if you have energy and you have passion and you have a good knowledge base and the kids can trust you and they know that you care them about them more than just as a baseball player, you care about them in school and socially and how they're doing in their family life and what's happening at home. And, you know, you take an interest in them, you have a little fun with them and you have, laughter but yet they know where the line is and you can you know you work extremely hard i think that was the the culture that i'd always been around and the culture that i always wanted to create i, I just love being around people and i love the relationships part of coaching so i think it was very easy for me to to create good relationships with my players and still have really really good and strong relationships with my players and former players and uh and the kids that i'm coaching on the usa team and so it's once you establish that establish the work habits establish practice habits establish how you want them to compete and they know and trust you and they know that you're doing the right things and you and you know that they're prepared on the field to handle the situations that arrive in the games then i think the trust goes back and forth and uh then you start recruiting the same kind of athletes each year mm-hmm. and filling in your holes and they're helping you recruit and um you know i think that's why we were so you know, successful for a long period of time as we just kept getting our hands on some really good athletes and, and uh, at the same time had good coaches. And, you know, I had Tim Corbin for nine years and had uh, Kevin O'Sullivan for nine years, and Tom Reginas, who is also coaching at Winthrop University, and he's become a really good coach and was a really good coach when he came. I had him for eight years at Western at uh, Clemson as an assistant. He's done a really good job as well. I think you surround yourself with good people and you treat people right and you show that you care as much as you want them to care and you work as hard as you want them to work 
and you have enthusiasm and you got some positive vibe about you all the time, then I think you got a chance to have a really good program. Definitely. And, and I love that answer. And thank you so much for taking some time to be so thorough with that too. That, that was fantastic. Let's talk about your current endeavor with Team USA. Now, you don't have a long period of time with these guys. So I would like to know, you know, imagine myself. I imagine myself. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be the Team USA. These, uh, and I've got to come up with a list of things that I have to do before we start playing, just like we do every season, but it's obviously got to be condensed right. down to a short period of time. So what are your have-tos right. before you guys or have decided what your have-tos are before you guys are going to start playing? Well, let me give you a little bit of the process. that We, we showed up at Cary and, and uh, near Raleigh for the USA team uh, Tournament of Stars, and we bring in 84 kids. We came from all over the country, what we think are the best 84 kids. Matt Blood is the general manager, and he invites all these kids in. Several coaches have college coaching background professional, uh, former professional players background, some really, really sharp people. And uh, we work with those kids. They divide them up into four different teams. And at the end of the week, we get down to, and they play each other. And I was responsible for, um, on the Monday when they all showed up, of running four different practices for those four teams and kind of give them an idea, this is how you move. This is what it's going to be like in college baseball. Mm -hmm. And showed them a practice, an hour and a half practice in it. It blew some of their minds, I think, how hard they had to work and had to be on the move and all the little fundamental things that we were doing. So I, I developed that practice plan and a little bit of everything from, uh, you know, cutoffs and relays. They were throwing to the cutoff man. The infielders were doing their thing. Catchers were doing some drills. Uh, then we integrated them all into PFP, pitcher fielding practice, and down to first baseline, third baseline. Everybody's moving all the time. Mm -hmm. And the pop-up priorities and so forth before you play the games. You know, I think once we got down to 44, then I was responsible for, you know, putting those practices together as well. And uh, those two teams played each other for, uh, you know, they didn't practice all that much. They played more games than anything, but we watched them, evaluated them, and we, at the end of the week, got down to 25 or 26, I think we're down to now. And I won't see those kids until the 13th of November, and we'll meet in Fort Lauderdale and we'll practice and play games there. And uh, then on the 20th of November, we'll fly down to Panama and play in the Pan Am games with, you know, Brazil and Nicaragua and Mexico and Cuba or Puerto Rico and all the, all these other Canada's in there and probably Venezuela and there's a bunch of other, other teams in, the, in Latin America. And uh, we'll finish in top four there. We'll end up going to the world championships the next year, which will be in We'll probably go to Japan or, or Taiwan for a week of practice and then go to uh, South Korea for the world championships with 12 teams throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're dealing with the best 20 kids in the country. But to answer your question, we only get a, so I'm really only going to get one week with these guys in Fort Lauderdale, the top 26 kids, and it'll be narrowed down to 20 at the end of the week. And those 20 will go to Panama. But you got to prioritize, you know, you got to, Make sure everybody knows what they're doing safety-wise. There's pop-up priorities, fly ball priorities. Got to have communication on the field. Got to be able to know who you're throwing the ball to. So we do a lot of cutoffs and relays. PFP, you know, communication on bunts. First and third defense. Uh, rundowns, because that's going to happen during the game sometime. You know, and just kind of put situations in front of them. Play games at night. You know, offensively, you got to get our signals in order. We've got to be able to understand what we're expecting and hit and run and bunts and, you know, uh, situational 
baseball, man on second base, nobody out, hitting the ball to the right side, uh, you know, man on third, and feel back, being able to put a ball and play on the ground and just grabbing your runs when you can because it's good competition and mm-hmm. getting our pitchers together and making sure they know they're all on the same page with our catchers. And uh, so it's kind of a crash course for a week in uh, spring training. <laughs> and then you just got to be ready to play. So we're talking to the kids on the phone and making sure that they're in shape and ready to play. And most of them have a really good plan about what they're doing this fall. So I think most, uh, yeah, all of them will come in great shape because they want to make the 20, 20 man team. For sure. Now that, that sounds like a, a really tough job. I'm thinking about that we've got about four months before we start to get all of that stuff installed, and you've got <laughs> just a couple of days. So that's that's one. tough. Yeah, we got a week. The teams at Clemson, when I was coaching college baseball, you know, we would have uh, three weeks before our first game in in the spring, but you also had, you know, thirty one or two days in the fall of baseball, and so you were able to. You know, you had 30 days of practice, 32 days of practice, whatever it was, and three weeks in, uh, so you probably had 45 days, you know, of practice at some point in inter-squad games, so you'd get all, everything in that you needed to get in. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, you know, and once you have your system in, and once you have, uh, you go through that year after year, and you get all the kids on your team, it goes a lot easier because, uh, you know, you start doing rundowns, and kids pick up quick because you got kids who are experienced out there. Definitely. And obviously those kids are really into wanting to be really good for a long period of time and to represent the USA. So that's absolutely fantastic. But let's go, uh, let's go back to your Clemson days a little bit. And, you know, something that I'm always looking to really integrate more into my practices or, uh, you know, just in between the players is competition. Now that could be any type of competition. So talk to us about what your favorite competitions and practices were and you know how you how you guys integrated those into practice whenever you did whether it was daily weekly or you know give us a a snapshot of what that would look like well competition is really important to integrate during practice Mm -hmm. and um you know it can be in a lot of different forms it can be uh you know where you have competition during batting practice and you you know you have to execute so much each, each time you go in there, you got a different round and you may be competing with the four or five guys that are in your group. Your infielders may be competing in the infield and how to fill the ground balls and somebody may be charting that. And uh, so you can integrate competition and intra-team competition. If guys are base running, you know, you challenge them by going, hey, you look faster than you. You got you know, to do this. You got to do this. And you just kind of always put a little edge onto it so they want to be competing with the guys that are in their group as well. And then you got, uh, you know, anytime you have inter-squad games, uh, you know, the petition is important. Winning and losing is important. If it's a three-inning scrimmage or a five-inning scrimmage or a seven-inning scrimmage, you know, the, you know, you want to have consequences. Uh, you know, it may be something simple as some running or, you know, whatever it might, picking up the bat, whatever it might be. You know, I think kids, you know, respond really well to that. They, they want to win and they like to keep score using mm-hmm. the scoreboard. Uh, just getting your manager to make you know sure make sure the scoreboard's working all the time. So there is a score up on the on the board and the count and number of outs and inning and all that kind of thing. So that they, you know, sometimes it's oh the scoreboard's not working today or whatever. It, it takes a little bit of the edge off of the scrimmage as far as I'm concerned. And then you know we have all kinds of little drills. Uh, you know we have bunch scrimmage. We have uh, ground ball scrimmage where we throw like batting practice. You got to hit ground balls. Try to be beat the balls out to first base, 
We got clock going down the line at the same time as challenging your infielders. So I think you just you got to be really creative in trying to get your kids to be on point all the time mm-hmm. and uh, to compete during practice and try to figure out a way to um, you know put a life into your into your uh, scrimmages, put a little life into your practices. I used to think long and hard about how I could make practice interesting, informative that they would improve, they would like it, be something different. And, uh, I, you know, I used to come up with things in the middle of the night. That, mm-hmm. Okay, I like this. Let's, let's try this drill. Let's try this drill. Let's try, let's try this. And I think it's uh, your mind as a coach is just going to be on fire all the time just thinking about what you can do to make yourself better and what you can do to make your team better. Sure. And while we're on the subject, and I I know this would depend on the time of year and it would depend on, you know, what you guys had going on during the week, but just say you wanted to boil down a typical practice plan and and what that should look like. What would, you know, how much time would you take and, you know, what would, what just take us through, you know, from stretch and catch to what you guys would do to end it? Well, you know, it would vary a little bit, but in the fall, uh, as we're getting prepared to, you know, get our system in, we might, uh, you know, we'd have our strength and conditioning coach out there or whatever. We'd go through a really good dynamic stretch. The kids would already have done something during the day. They might have already had a work, uh, weight room workout or a voluntary workout in the weight room or something, but depending on what, what time of year it was. Um, once we got done that, we would do a throwing program. It's kind of a short throwing program where everybody's concentrating, hitting each other in the chest and using good mechanics and not screwing around and talking about this or that. So you catchers with, I would always have position players throw with each other, infielders throw with each other, outfielders throw with each other, catchers throw with each other, pitchers kind of throw with each other so that, you know, they're all kind of on the same program. And so then when we get done with that, we might break up into, uh, you know, groups, group work, the infielders go do their thing. Uh, There might be a square drill where we've got four fungos going or some drills leading up to that. The outfielders might be doing some drills in the outfield with their outfield coach and then you know, maybe get the pawns machine or get the uh, jugs machine up there and, and uh, A-Tech machine and, and work on the fly balls. It might be working on balls in the sun or up against the fence or balls over the, over the shoulders. Or, and then catchers would be off uh, working with the catching coach and working on their drills. It might be receiving. It might be blocking. It might be ball handling drills. It might be, uh, you know, block and scramble drills. It might be pop-up. We might have a machine set up so we're doing some, you know, pop-ups behind home plate uh, and the pitchers would be off with the pitching coach and they would be, you know, doing their, you know, thing. And some guys would be getting ready to throw some bullpens. The other guys would be doing maybe on the backfield where they'd be working on the PFP and certain things during that day. It might be starting double plays. It might be finishing up the double play at first base. It might be just fielding bunts and covering first base. It might be fielding bunts down the third base side, you know, uh, that triangle. And then we would bring everybody kind of back from a group uh, sessions more into a team session. It might be you integrate what you just did. You might be doing bunt coverage. You might be doing a, you know, pick off to rundown. So you might do cutoffs and relays that day. Um, or you might do first and third defense and, you know, throw two or three things in there like that. The next day might be a little more offensive. You might be doing your bunt offense, your hit and run offense, you're throwing your signals in with a with a batting practice pitcher and you're mm-hmm. running the bases and hitting and those types of things. So just be creative and, and try to work your defense. I, I think you hit it right on the nose, Jonathan. you got a list of things that you've got to do 
and make sure you cover before your first game. I've got three by five cards. I tell everybody that when they, they throw me six feet under, just throw those things right in the casket with me. Because <laughs> they, they look like they look like they're a hundred years old, but they're handwritten and they're everything, all my checkpoints and base running, all my checkpoints, what am I want my catchers to be able to do, my infielders, the drills, the, you know, what your team has to be ready to do from you know, fly ball priorities to you know, cutoffs and relays, to first and third defense, to bunt defense, to pickoffs, to rundowns, to anything defensively and anything offensively. We're going to make sure we have to cover, you know, in the fall and in the spring in order to be well prepared. And and most of the time we were very well prepared because we, I would look at those things every day and think about what I had to do the next day of practice. I love that. And, and I think that that's absolutely fantastic. But, you know, you, you mentioned that you were very, very heavily into getting to know the players off the field and, and getting to know them as a person. But talk to us about how you guys did went about leadership building. And I'm a firm believer that I don't I don't think leaders are are born. I think that they're made and I think that they're influenced by other leaders. But talk to us about how you went about that and did you guys do that conscientiously or or how did that work? You know, when we were recruiting I would look for kids that were, you know, leaders on their team, uh, kids that uh, were tough and adverse situations and so forth and you know I, I early on when i was playing at the university of maine as a football and baseball player um i had great coaches and in high school i had great coaches and uh, i leaned on them i watched everything and i was uh, hoping someday i had a chance to influence my players as much as they influenced me and uh i had some tough things happen to me when i was in college you know girlfriend was killed in a car accident. My parents got divorced after 21 years. My grandfather died of a heart attack and I went back preseason football. This is April to August and broke my ankle in the beginning of September. Uh, got it pinned underneath me in the third play of the year and had a cast up to my, the old plaster cast back then mm-hmm. up to my waist uh, until, uh, Man. you know, after Thanksgiving. So I had some really tough things happen to me while I was in college and my coaches, you know, they were there when I needed them. My friends were there. My teammates were there uh, um, and sports were there. And I was, I had enough motivation to stay in school and, you know, do the right things, hang around the right people. When I had excuses to do everything that, uh, you know, I could have quit school, could have hung around the wrong people. I had all the excuses uh, to lean on if I wanted to, but it made me realize what a powerful position a coach is in. He has the ability to influence you during good times and bad times and be there, you know, when your parents aren't, uh, because sometimes you're, you're far away at school or, um, you're not just around or sometimes the family is not all together. So you, you have to rely on some other people to, and your coaches, uh, have a big role. And, um, so I always thought it was important that I got to know my players, uh, cause I had a little empathy of what happened to me and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, I always want to know more about them. I always, when, when kids had problems, I, I felt like I was a really good uh, learning and leaning on tool for them. And uh, I wanted them to know that that was an important part of my job, just not the baseball part of it. And so I think I've developed over the years a lot of great relationships. And when they when they know that you're in their corner and you can laugh with them and you can you know have tough times with them and you can help them through tough times and you are more interested in just what they're doing on the field, then that's where you develop your leaders and that's where you develop your trust and your loyalty and, and how, you know, how those things 
all get put together. Mm-hmm. So I think I was, I just always thought I was pretty good at that. It was natural for me. And at the same time, it was, it was important to me um, because people were there when I needed them. And I've always wanted to be there. I, I just, I text my guys that you know, played for me and, Hey, love you. I'm here. I'm always here. You know where I'm at. I'm a phone call away, whatever you need. And this is how I think it's, it's mutual back and forth because uh, I think they saw that the passion ran deep in me about what kind of person they had to be. I held them accountable, held them to discipline, uh, how they practiced, how they played, how they hustled. Um, holding kids accountable, having discipline is a great thing. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes coaches, coaches get scared away from them because, you know, maybe you got hovering parents or you got parents who are too close to the program or too hovering over their kids or whatever it might be. You know, you my kid, you teach him, you coach him, you're his coach. And that doesn't always happen that way. But I was lucky that I, I told all my players, say, you get problems about playing time, you come see me. You got, you know, you don't feel right about something, you come see me. Don't go home and cry about it, whine about it, you know, spread negativity to somebody else or cry to your parents, whatever you come see me, you're a man now. I think they respected that. And I had an open door policy, come see me, call me, talk to me anytime they needed to. And I think in the end, uh, you know, you develop leaders that way, you develop trust that way, you develop, give them responsibility and uh, you develop respect that way. And, and it, and it goes mutual back and forth. And once you have that, it kind of your program starts to feed on itself. Right. And then whenever, you know, you, you're talking about holding them accountable and, you know, disciplining if disciplining mm-hmm. if needed, whenever you do have that relationship mm-hmm. with them, that makes it, it's going to be harder on both sides, but they'll understand that you are in the end looking out for their best interests at heart. Jonathan, it was just a big deal to me. I, you know, I took over for coach Wilhelm and he was very, uh, you know, old school a little bit, but I, I've got a little bit of that in me too. And it's, I don't think it's wrong. You know, when we went down to breakfast in the morning, I tell the USA team kids, you guys take a shower before you come down to breakfast. If you're going to come down to team breakfast, I don't want you just rolling out of bed. Mm-hmm. I want you ready to play when I see you. You know, I tell my guys, I want you clean shaven. I want you, you know, look like you you come down, you got a college shirt on, you don't have flip-flops on, you got shoes and socks on or tennis shoes or whatever, but you look good and you look sharp. And you represent your school and represent our program. You know, it, you know, the hair was shorter. They, they just look sharp. They look disciplined. And, and, you know, if you look at the best programs out there, you'll see the same thing, you know, out of Florida, out of Vanderbilt, out of, uh, you know, the programs that end up out there, Virginia. I mean, you, you see guys that look pretty sharp. And once you allow things to get a little bit sloppy, a little less disciplined, sloppiness turns into losing before it's all over. And uh, it may seem like the cool thing to do and let the kids do this and oh, let the kids do that. But in the end, kids want discipline and they want to stand out from other people, you know, and, and know that they've got an edge when they get out on the field. And I felt like we always had an edge because our kids look sharp. They had the same uniform on. Coach Wilhelm used to say, we wear the uniform. It's a uniform, kids. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not an outfit. A uniform means everybody looks the same. You know, have one guy with his socks up, one guy down, one guy with his hat on sideways. You know, it was a uniform, not an outfit. And I'll never forget, never forget those words that came out of his mouth. And uh, I think there's there's nothing wrong with holding the kids accountable. There's nothing wrong with uh, you know separating your program 
in a disciplined way. And I think kids really, really are looking for it, even though they may not want to admit it. No, absolutely. Now, would you mind sharing some of your rules and that, and tell me if I'm wrong here and I'd love to get your advice, but I think the more rules that you have, the more that they're going to, that they're going to eventually be broken. And then there's going to be a situation that arises that you're like, man, you know, this, this kid has done everything right for four years. And then the one time that he messes up, he broke this rule and, and I held this kid. So is, is there a, a hard, fast standard on, you know, how many rules you should have? Should you keep it simple? Should you have a ton just so they know where they stand or, or what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's two schools of thought on it. I, when I had first meeting with my guys at Clemson, I had about an hour and a half meeting and I laid down a law about what I want you to do academically, what I want you to do socially, what I expect out of you down to the baseball field, and how you treat women on campus, how you treat your classmates on campus, how you treat your teachers on campus, how you treat your academics on campus, how you treat your social life on campus when I'm not around, how you, you know, uh, being on time was a big deal to me. To me, that always shows the sense of discipline and urgency, and, and you're on the same page. But I would lay down these things, and at the end, I go, is there any gray area here? It's black and white. This is what's expected out of you. Mm -hmm. And they go, we got you, coach. And they would spread it on, and they even do – every year they'd do an over and under, thinking how long it would take me to, you know, to, to get, go through all these things that I had. But they weren't – you know, there are certain rules that I was very firm on, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Off, off the field rules, I wanted to know you were on the same page I was on. If I'm disciplined, I want you to be disciplined. Mm -hmm. If I'm expecting you to be disciplined, I got to be disciplined. If I'm expecting you to come down to the field, be 100% and get you the rest that you need, eat the food that you need, and stay away from the things you shouldn't be there, that's what I'm doing because I'm coming down the field to win. Mm -hmm. And you better be on the same page I am. Before it's all over, you won't survive if you aren't. And as hard as we worked, if the kid was into the, you know, the drinking scene or alcohol scene or something like that, that was a priority to him. He would never survive before it's all over. And uh, I had zero policy, zero, you know, thing policy on drugs and, and uh, or performance enhancing things. And not what I, we won something, a championship. I wanted it to be clean and the way it's supposed to be. And I know, you know, honestly, I, I knew there was things around and other teams and other programs here and there that, that maybe weren't doing the same things. Mm -hmm. And that always bothered me, but that wasn't going to be our program. And so there were certain things that had to be laid out there for them so that there was never, oh, you never told me this. You never explained this to me. I didn't really understand that. And so I wanted to make sure in my first meeting they understood those things. And then, um, you know, when it came to my rules down at the field, it was just, uh, you know, come down, hustle, have a great attitude, smile, be coachable, work hard to improve and be a good teammate, be unselfish. I always felt if you can't hustle, I can't play you. Mm -hmm. If you can't run hard down the first baseline four times a game, then you're either not in good enough shape and I've got to get you there or else you're not on the same page as me and your teammates. I always made the kids, I had kids touch second base on fly balls in the outfield. I wanted to send a message to the other people in the other dugout that we're here to play all day long. We're here to play, you know, all nine innings. And, uh, you might've got me this time, but I'm not going to take a right turn to the dugout and show you that you got me. And, uh, you know, if they had a line drive to right field and you never made it out of the box, that was another story or if somebody else was on the base, but, mm -hmm. but a fly ball 
where if you dropped it, you should be on second base. That's where I want you to be. So I had some rules uh, that, that were, you know, I think good for us. And, and not a lot of people do it, but that's just the way we wanted to run our program. And I want to make sure my guys were in better shape and hustling more and had better energy and better body language than the other teams that we played. And so I guess those were my rules. They weren't necessarily written down on paper. They were just done during practice and they were expected during practice. And if you go to my website, we'll talk about that in a minute. I just have done a, uh, a blog on body language mm-hmm. and uh, another one on your Harley engine, which is your engine that you run during practice is what you're going to, what you need to be expecting during the game. If you allow them to have a dogged engine uh, in practice and go through the motions, then that's what you're going to see in the game. Don't expect anything different in the games that you don't expect in practice. And so our practices were always uh, more intense. They were a little bit more, uh, you know, more repetition probably. There's more enthusiasm in them, I think probably the most, and uh, more competition infused in them so that when the games came, that's how they were trained to, to train to play. And I actually had a guy transfer into our program. He's playing in the major leagues right now. Mike Freeman transferred into our program. And in the first week of practice, this is when you could transfer without having to sit out a year. And so we transferred in the program. The first week of practice, I said, uh, we're sitting on the bench. We took a little bit of break and he was sweating bullets. It's a warm day in Clemson. I said, well, Mike, What's the difference between this practice and where you were? He goes, three things. Right out of his mouth, smart guy goes, repetitions. I got more repetition, more ground balls today than I did all last fall. Intensity. The intensity of practice is incredible compared to (laughs) what what I just got through with last Mm -hmm. year. He goes, and accountability. You expect me to make every play. If I'm not, if I'm not moving my feet, I've got a voice kicking me into gear. And so repetition, intensity of practice, and accountability. And if you expect those three things out of them, then your practices will go well and your games will go better before it's all over. So I, I just think there's a, this is a measure of discipline that needs to be thrown into everything and, and, a, and a high expectation level. If you expect high expectations, you're probably going to get close to it mm-hmm. and you're going to get some guys that overachieve it. If your expectations are low, and how they dress, how they appear, how they act, whatever, then you're going to find that a lot of them are going to gravitate to that. So don't be afraid to expect what you really want to see. No, that's fantastic. And, and I, I, again, I, I love that answer. And it sounds like you really were heavy on communicating and almost over-communicating, so they had no choice but to understand what your expectations were. Is that pretty accurate? Well, you can't, you know, can't over communicate in my in my way of thinking because you have to tell them what's expected, or else there's always going to be a question in mind. And then once you set your culture in your program, they can also help you. You know, if they're out there fielding ground balls and they're with a freshman who's, you know, kind of going through the motions because he doesn't know the how how it's expected yet, then the older guy can tell him, "Hey, you better pick it up a little bit before he gets excited." Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you're running the bases. The older guy can say, hey, you better pick it up a little bit because, you know, you do that one more time, something's going to happen here. You know, something's going to get excited. And so you, they start policing your program for you 
but the communication, I always felt like, uh, you know, was very important. And also, you know, before you, you know, <clears throat> I was always, I thought very good at, if you won a ball game, you talk to your team and you tell them, you know, what they did well, what you're proud of them, how, you know, all this kind of thing, give them the positive feedback. If you lose a ball game or, or if you win a ball game and they don't play well, then there was also something to be said about that because I wanted them to understand that they, you have to play the game a certain way, win, win or lose. And then if you lost the ball game because you didn't play well or things didn't go well, you know, they have to know, and there's a teachable moment in everybody, but they have to know what we did wrong, what we got to fix, what's going to happen tomorrow to change the result. So, you know, it may be, hey, put it behind you. We played well. They beat us today, but we we'll on to the next thing. But I was, I thought I was very good at talking to my team after wins and losses and adversity and, and good things and, and uh, being able to communicate, I think, probably one of the best assets of any good coach. You got to be able to tell them what you want. I've been to clinics before, Jonathan, where a guy really knows how to hit. He's a pro hitter and Hall of Famer, but he can't tell you how he hit. Mm-hmm. And I've been to, I've listened to coaches before and talk. And if your voice inflects a certain uh, passion about it and confidence about it, then it gets usually gets picked up by your players much better. And if the timing is right, and there's a timing, you know, message timing on, a, on every message, whether it's winning or losing. Uh, the timing is important as well. So uh, with experience, you usually find out the right times to do it and the right times not to. Sure. Going back a few years, I want to know, is there anything that you would go back and tell your first-year head coach self? I would probably, you know, tell myself have a little more patience mm, that's um, good. because now I have more patience. My eyes are, are stronger now, They're, you know, in terms of being able to see everything. I would say maybe get a little more, maybe be a little more poised, a little less excitable. I was very, you know, competitive, but my, I think my players really liked it because mm-hmm. I, they get along, you know, they stay in touch with me now. They love that part of me at that time in my, in my life. But I think uh, those two things probably, and probably just work smarter, not harder. You know, I always worked hard, but, and I always thought I worked smart. But I ran into my high school football coach, who was a tremendous coach, Paul Jordan. And he, he was about 20 years into coaching. He goes, hey, well, young man, have you finally learned how to work smarter, not harder? <laughs> I go, ah, still, still getting there, coach. Still, still trying to figure that out. But I think, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, certainly a, a smart way to work. And uh, everybody wants to work hard, knows that hard work helps. But work hard, but work smart and treat your players right and show them, you know, be honest with them. Jeez, be honest with them. Because if, if you're honest with your kids, you're going to gain a lot of points with them. You start trying to pull the wool over these kids' eyes, it doesn't go over very well nowadays. So be honest with them and uh, let them know you care about them more than a baseball player. And, and if you're ready to play every day um, and you're ready to compete, you're going to lead them into better practice habits, better game habits, and a better ability to lead and compete as well for them. Because it's a very powerful position. Mm-hmm. If your body language is bad and you've given up, they, give, they, they can go with you. But if you stay in the whole nine innings and you keep coaching and you keep working them and keep staying positive, even though you're behind by, behind by five, six, seven, eight runs, 
and you come back and win. And then they realize that the best lesson a kid can ever learn is that you can should never, ever give up when you're behind. Or if you're 0 for 4, never, ever give in because a fifth at-bat could be the most important one. So those are lessons that need to be taught to these kids. And, and, it, and it's taught a lot by through your body language and, and how you compete yourself. And so I think uh, those two things, probably just a little more poise when I was younger, a little more patience. Definitely. Now, I'll, you know, I want to ask this question because there's always certain traditions or rituals that come with any come with any team. And, you know, just from the outside looking in, I, I want to know, were there any things that, you know, traditions or rituals that were unique to you guys that you don't mind sharing? Yeah, we used to, um, you know, run out and touch the tiger paw, you know, left field before practice to show, OK, I'm going to give 100 percent today or. You know, I actually, uh, we went to Omaha two or three times and I called the uh, Jesse Cuevas, who was the uh, groundskeeper at, in Omaha, Rosenblatt Stadium. I said, Jesse, I need I need home plate. I need you to send me home plate. So he blow towards <laughs> home plate out at Rosenblatt Stadium. Wow. And he packaged it up and he sent that to me. We hung it up on the wall. So every time they came out of the locker room to go to the bench to start practice or game, they would bang that thing with their left hand or right hand or whatever, and just slap. And that was a tradition. Um, they knew where the plate came from. They knew how badly we want to go back to Omaha. That was part of our tradition and, and so forth. Also, uh, I brought in a little key thing at the end there. You know, I, I had my father's old cleats from the 1949 era, right in that area, mm-hmm. era when he was in high school and, and so forth. And, and they were beat up. And then they had his glove. And uh, so I had those things, and I hung them, and they used to hang them in the dugout. And the lesson there was, uh, hey, the equipment's changed. The name of the players have changed. Uniforms have changed. All those things, but the game is the same. And the game is the same. It's the same fundamental game. It's the same hustling game. the same attitude. same passion. So there's a lot of things that the game is the same. This is how I want you to play every single day. I want you to play blue-collar, grit. Not worry about all the fancy stuff that you guys might get, you know, but just play the game. And so we'd hang those up in the dugout. And, and uh, we always have a tradition maybe before practice and before I would talk to them and, you know, explain practice schedule to them and what's going on. It's kind of a traditional, I always had a little word of wisdom for them or what they had to do about study hall or this is what we got going, this is what we did practice yesterday. I would kind of go over it a little bit. And I, I think that always, got their mind going about what they're going to do for practice that day. So there was a, just a few little things that we used to do, and, and um, I think they all came back to help us. Oh, for sure. And, you know, one more question before we let you yeah. go. And so I want to know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're a constant learner, and you're still, you know, doing the thing that you love every single day. But, you know, what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? That there's a lot of good baseball players out there. And through this 18 under USA team, I've learned that there's a lot of really good baseball players throughout the country. So that the competition is extremely tough. And if you want to make it to the next level, whether it's be the best you can in high school, be the best player on your team, to be a starter, to be a contributor, to be, go to college and play college baseball, to play at the highest level of college baseball, play professional baseball. I've learned that fundamentals are still extremely important. I uh, see kids try to bypass those things, even though their talent, because the talent will take them there a little bit. But I've learned 
again, and I knew this, but as I'm working on these guys that, Hey, you know, I'm trying to teach them, don't bypass your fundamentals. You can be even better if you'll listen and pay attention to this and base running wise or hitting wise or bunting wise or pitching wise or infield wise or whatever it might be. You can be better than you are now. And so I think that's something that I always knew all along and, and tried to reiterate to my players, but I think players need to learn all the time is that you can always learn in this game. And uh, so I think that's one thing recently I've learned. And, uh, you know, and I've also learned that, that discipline by watching teams on TV and watching teams locally and watching kids nowadays, uh, I've learned again that even though times have changed a little bit, kids are different a little bit, but they're still the same. And if you expect high things out of them, you're going to get it. You expect discipline out of them. They want it. You give them too much leeway, things go bad quickly. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to you got to hold them to a standard. And I think that's there's nothing wrong with that. I think most all your parents on your team, if you hold them to a certain standard, hopefully the ones that uh, that get it will say, "Hey, he's your coach. That's what he wants you to do. That's what you do." And those that don't get it will go, "Well, you know, maybe he's asking too much of you." And you know, you'll be okay. You know, that's just not real world stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's not real world stuff. So it gets, it gets pretty hectic out there after you get done college and, and getting, uh, you know, everybody taking care of you and getting your meals and, you know, study hall and structure and all those kinds of things and weight room and somebody taking care of you and all that kind of thing. It, it gets real world out there. So you got to teach them as much as you can about how to be prepared in that world as you, as you possibly can through the game of baseball and through the lessons you teach them. Definitely. And, you know, just off the top of my head, I can think of something that you've learned lately and that's your website and your new blog that you've been posting to lately. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I am so tech savvy now. It's unbelievable, (laughs) but (laughs) not really, but we've got a a website. It's jackleggett.com. And uh, you can go to that, go to the website and in the upper right-hand corner, there's three dots. You can pull it up. There's a menu up there, and this tells you, uh, you know, a little bit of background, of course, uh, coaching tree, some of the successes we know we've had uh, coaching throughout the years. And then uh, there's the tab, I think, about speaking engagements. Uh, I love to speak to teams, speak to coaches, speak to clinics. I, I want coaches to, to keep on learning. Uh, I kept on learning for 38 years of coaching, and I think it's so important to – somebody gets together at clinic and you get two or 300 coaches together and we can, you know, get something going and, and, uh, you know, turn it into something positive for both sides. And that's, that's positive. Uh, you know, I love, you know, speaking just to groups or speaking to your teams or, you know, to, to hire me to, to come in and, and do what we, you know, do like what we just did, talk baseball and talk mm-hmm. about how to become a better coach, how to get your team into a better structure uh, evaluate your program, evaluate practice, evaluate, you know, sit down and talk to the coaches and, and do these things. If I, if I was a young coach and I'm listening, I'm thinking I'm learning. And it's sure. just something I'm I'm figuring out by talking. So I like that part of it, uh, the mentoring part of it. They're looking for, you know, I love to get involved with, you know, really good college kids or professional players that need somebody to hang their hat on that uh, they can have access to, you know, twice a month or whatever on the phone or, you know, once every, you know, get together in person or Skype with or talk with because uh, it gets pretty lonely out there in pro ball. And sometimes in 
college baseball, you know, when things don't go right or you need somebody there. And, you know, so I, I, I would really enjoy doing something like that. I love doing the blogs and just speaking and, and going through something quickly about this traveling through my mind about uh, something that might help a coach out there, help players out there be a little more aware or become a better coach or better player or whatever it might be. And I enjoy doing that. And uh, so there's, there's a lot of things that, that uh, I enjoy doing the podcast and enjoy talking and, uh, and spreading some of this experience that I have. And, and hopefully it makes an impression on somebody and maybe they want to go to the website and take a look at things and see if there's some way we can help them or get together. And, you know, if they think it's helpful to the program, I always willing to talk about it. Cool. Well, I know that I have, uh, I've loved this conversation and I know that our listeners have as well. And if they want to get in contact with you, uh, would the website be the best way to do so? That would be, they go to the website and there's a place to contact and they start reading the blogs. They can put their email in or they can make a call and get a hold of myself or Matt Morris or the other, and we'll get back to you. And then we'll, all kinds of things we can do if, if people are interested in, you know, learning and, uh, the day you stop learning and, in this game, I think you got it figured out is the day you start losing and the day you start people bypassing you. So you got to keep on staying the cutting edge and, and, uh, you know, it's something that I, I enjoy talking about. And I feel like there's a lot of good experience and a lot of good, you know, I've coached 25 guys that played in the big leagues and been to Omaha six times and been in nine super regionals and 26 regional tournaments. And, you know, just we've had some really good, coaching tree and some great guys that have been through here and I've learned a lot from every one of them and every one of my players and I think they can say the same thing so you know there's some credibility behind it I hope (laughs) I'm missing that baseball edge Mm -hmm. and so uh, I'm hoping maybe we can uh, maybe get together with some coaches and and try to keep on learning no definitely and you know, I, don't, I coach you again. It's been such a pleasure to have you on, and I don't think there's a better way to end the show because, in the end, we're all trying to learn and get better. So, thanks again for coming on the show and sharing so much with us. And again, thank you for coming on. Well, I appreciate it, Jonathan. If anybody's interested, go to jacklegit.com, and hopefully, there's been a few things tonight that we talked about that we'll bring home with people. So, thank you for calling. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.